Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So Darren asked me to come and tell some father stories. Now I'm not a big Father's Day hallmark kind of guy, except of course when you get gifts and things. So... um, but, but this morning is a, is a great time for us to be able to just dialogue a little around fathers and being, and, and Father's Day. And so he just asked me to come and tell some stories, uh, which is what I hope to do. But let me uh, front end it with some disclaimers. Firstly, just a huge sensitivity to those of you for whom Father's Day is quite a brutal day. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. He's a wonderful Jesus lover now, but growing up in an alcoholic home created vulnerability, uncertainty, angst. Uh, there was a perpetual sense of anxiety. Is dad coming home drunk or sober? Is he coming home peaceful or violent? And uh, so I'm very aware that for some of you, this is not an easy day. For others, it's not easy because you've never met your father or because you as a father are very aware of the mistakes you've made and would love to go back and kind of rewrite your history. I'm not insensitive to those of you. Um, For those of you whose dad may have been absent or abusive uh, or just without affection, I'm very sensitive to you. But what I would love is that we all leave this morning with hope. I want us to lift our heads. I want us to look at this great adventure, the gift God has given us of being a dad. For those of you who uh, are not yet dads and want to be dads, I want to allow you to reach for the possible and the improbable and the exciting and the supernatural and just the sheer fun of being a father. Um, and uh, that in a community like this, in a city like this, with all of its social complexity and beauty and creativity, I'm hoping that at least I will contribute a little drop in the bucket of perspective and opinion on fathering and maybe color the water just a tad with uh, some richness and some fun. I, I'm, I must tell you that being a father is the third most important thing in my life. I love being a son of the Most High God. I stumbled into faith, and uh, every day I'm incredibly grateful to God that that I'm his boy. I'm his son, and he calls me that. Every day I open up my journal, and I write there, Good morning, Father, and we dialogue. It's a very intimate relationship, one for which I'm very grateful. The second thing I love, love, love is being married to Meryl Diane. To Meryl, she's not here this morning. We've got our own community this evening, and we always eat together, so she's cooking up a storm for our community. Uh, Dining room table's massive for us and how we do our spiritual walk. And I love being married to Meryl. I met her when she was 15. I led her to Jesus at a youth camp I was speaking at. She was one of many. I did not know her at the time, Um, but it's kind of a cute story. It's a fun story. I used to... um, I used to take her roses, a rose, every time I went to fetch her. It was only some time later that she realized I stole them. But hey, <laughs> I was a poor student. What am I supposed to buy the dang thing? So I just, I knew the route to her home and where the cool gardens were. And I just took them as a gift from the Lord. I just felt like God was being <laughs> so kind to me. But then thirdly, I absolutely love being a dad. Uh, I have, my oldest daughter is 32. She lives in Australia with her husband and her four kids. And at the age of 32, she's gone back to university to become a nurse because she loves being a mum. And uh, she's a little bitty thing. And she squeezed four little suckers out 
And uh, without any epidural, she just, she just squeezed hard. I don't know. I don't know what she did. Uh, um, I wasn't even there, but uh, I know she did something pretty amazing. My second daughter is 30. She called me. She's at the airport flying back from South Africa where she's been songwriting with some young creatives there. And then my 19-year-old son is probably still sleeping. <laughs> go figure. Grab your Bibles. We go to Matthew, and uh, we'll read a passage of Scripture, and we will dive straight in. Matthew, for those of you a little less acquainted with the Scriptures, is one of four accounts of the Jesus story. Matthew is particularly unique because he was Jewish, and he was writing it to the Jewish people. So you can get some great little insights as to how the people of the day perceived Jesus in a social, cultural, and religious setting. And um, there is a series called, I think you've taught it here, called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that context, Jesus talks about praying. It's one of the questions the disciples asked him. Say, tell us how to pray. Uh, because obviously you pray amazingly, so how can we pray? And uh, Jesus gives him them this assignment, verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as I was talking to Meryl about this morning, I said, you know, babe, what I'd love to do is to just take this passage because what Jesus does is he gives us permission to expect certain things from Father God. He says, when you think of Father God, think about these things. These are the things you can legitimately ask him. And uh, for me as a dad, and, and if I have a title, it's something like lessons my kids taught me about being a dad. It would be first and foremost the incredible and overwhelming privilege that I am their first picture of Father God. Now please hear me. I'm not going to talk a lot about mums today, and I could. I could probably speak about mums longer than I can speak about dads. So I, it's not a bias. It's not a preference or a prejudice. It's Father's Day, so I've been asked to speak about fathering. You get that, don't you? So don't think I'm being unkind or I'm ignoring or whatever. I, I, and if you don't like anything I say today, don't bag on, da no, bag on Darren. But, but then you can also send me an email and disagree passionately, and I'm okay with that. But, but, but this idea, when Nas was born, it was a turbulent pregnancy. Meryl is a healthy eater, and she's an idealist and a romantic idealist. And the, the whole thing was that she would be able to have this natural birth without complexity. But pretty soon we began to realize that uh, toxemia set in, and this little girl, this little mother, uh, was pretty soon starting to kind of put on, not weight, it was just bloating out, and her legs and her knees and her ankles. And eventually, uh, the OBGYN said, listen, we'll try for natural labor, but if it doesn't work, I'm going to have to go in with the cesarean section. And we prayed like crazy. Our friends prayed like crazy. But uh, it soon became apparent that who would become Nas, Nasia, which is the Hebrew for miracle of God. Our little girl was in fetal distress, and uh, we needed to go in. The doctor needed to go in to do an emergency cesarean section. I remember holding this little thing in my arms. I didn't know it was a girl in South Africa then, and probably still now, we wouldn't ask. It's some of the mystery and the adventure of God. Who are you giving me? What is this little personality? 
What is this cute little thing, this little scrunched face? And, and my daughter had, had engaged in the pelvic canal, and so she came out looking like a rugby ball. And so um, I, I was like thinking, am I supposed to say she's beautiful? Because right now I don't think so, you know? It's like um, she's prophetically beautiful, but obviously not practically beautiful yet. And she's gorgeous and she models and all those wonderful things. So, so here was this notion, this little girl came out with this kind of conical head and, and, and I looked at this little thing and I was suddenly aware that I was going to be the first picture of a father and through me, Father God, and the sheer weight and the sublime implications of that dawned on me. Because they are taught, I mean, we cheat, don't we, moms and dads? We compete for whether they say mama or dada first, you know? And so you hold them and da, 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 da. It was like hoping that the rhythm will beat their way into their subconscious and that we win. Isn't life about winning and losing? Well, I think it is. And, um, but, but, but I would be the first picture that she would have of Father God. She would call me by the same name, Abba, dad, that she would call God. And the sober reality from that uh, dreadful day in August 1986, not only was my life changed, Meryl's life changed, but we were about to fashion, paint, script, craft, write on the canvas of a little bitty thing what Father God really is like. You see, gentlemen, what we say and what we do is sublime for many reasons, but the, this to me is the overriding narrative. You are putting into that little child what God is like. If you are grumpy, their perception is God is grumpy. If you're abusive, their sense is God is abusive. He cannot be trusted. He does not hold even keel. He is, as the, 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 the writer of the scripture says, there is no shadow of turning. What great poetry. There is no shadow of turning. God is always the same. He is steadfast and certain. Or do your kids wait with bated breath, what's dad going to be like today? Is he going to scream and shout and be grumpy at work? He's this cool guy that everyone digs, but when he comes home, he has a pain in the butt because suddenly the true self comes out and the false self has been gotten, forgotten 10 miles away. It's an incredible privilege. I was in Singapore speaking a few years ago and I opened up the Straight Times and there was an interesting editorial, the McDonald's dads. And obviously with my love for being a dad, I, I started reading the article and this is the essence of the story. One of the local uh, journalists found a curious thing. Every Saturday morning, McDonald's would be full and it would be dads with kids. And obviously, uh, Singapore, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a high-energy business city. It, it's a, it's a, it's a city-state. It's an island. It's surrounded by Malaysia and so on. And so they have to exist. The only thing they have is business. And so the, the father of Singapore back in the day decided, if business is the only thing that will make my country successful, then we've got to have the best and the most beautiful. And those of you who saw President Trump there recently would see the incredible buildings. Um, and it is, it's, it's a captivating city. A little artificial, but captivating. And um, here these, 
these, the assessment of the journalist was that the fathers would work long hours. They would leave before the kids wake up. They would come home after the kids have gone to bed. And so Saturday mornings out of obligation, they would take their kids to McDonald's. But tragically, the kids would go to McDonald's because they could play in that kind of playground area while the dads would sit with their iPhones, iPads, and computers and do more work, feeling the dads did that they sufficed some obligation. No, I took the kids out on Saturday morning. I had my turn. And ladies and gentlemen, do you honestly think and forgive my passion that the kids wanted another turn at McDonald's when actually what they wanted is a touch from a father so they can understand the touch from a father? A word of encouragement and blessing from a father so they can receive a word of encouragement and blessing from a father. Because dear friends, our kids, if they do not grow up with that sense of love and affection, our father who art in heaven, who do I have down here? A friend of mine said, God who art in heaven, but I art on earth. And as dads, we art on earth. We are the visual representation of the eternal God to our children. Age range. That was quiet, wasn't it? It was interesting. Huh? I was like, oh dear, what do I say now? Do I dance? You know, do I? Don't know what to say next. But it's an incredible privilege because when you create a home of joy and celebration and delight, when I walk in, listen, but ministry is, is, I suppose, a bit like your job. You, you're tired at the end of the day dealing with people. Mostly people seek you out, seek you out when they, they've got problems. And that's what we do, it's how we roll. And I remember going home, especially when the kids were small, I would drive home and stop on the side of the road and say, God, when I get home now, my family wants to breathe a sigh of relief. It's happy hour. It's noisy. It's crazy. It's loud. It's energetic. Meryl's trying to cook. The kids are probably just a little buzzed and hyped and will go from joy to sadness in a millisecond over something really eternal like TV, you know? And um, so, so when I come home, my family needs to breathe a sigh of relief. They need to go from tragedy to triumph, from pain to joy. When I walk in, I do not add to the darkness, I bring light. And I would literally stop on the side of the road and say, God, I need grace. You've given me a wife whom I love. You've given me two kids at that stage whom I love. And I now need to represent you. That means I bring peace. I bring joy. I bring meekness. I bring goodness. I bring kindness. It's my job. God didn't say God is mother. And I know that's a big theological conversation. But see, my kids don't understand theological complexity. They understand dad, dad, father, father. That's what they understand. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I was preaching in Taiwan. And forgive me, some of you have heard some of these stories, so, but this is my father thing. And I was speaking on the Father Heart of God in a place called Taichung in Taiwan. I had a delightful young um, interpreter for me. And uh, at the end of my message, they said to me, why don't you just get a response time? Let people respond. And so I did. I said some words to the effect of, you know, if you've never had a good relationship with your dad and therefore it's, 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 it's colored your perception of God, would you come forward for prayer? And on my left, it was quite a high stage. And on my left, there were probably, if my memory serves me right, 
8 to 12 young Taiwanese girls. And so I just said, and there was a lot of other people, I said, let me just pray over you. And as I started praying, these girls started shrieking. I daren't try to emulate them, but it was a screech from down here. It wasn't just a gentle tear drifting across an empty uh, cheek. It was a screech of pain. And I looked at my interpreter, and I leaned across to her. I said, what's going on here? Now, remember, I'm from Africa, so we do deliverance. We have people shrieking out. This is not strange for me. It's probably a little strange for you if it happened. It wasn't strange for me. And she had tears running down her face. I said, who are these girls? Why are they all Literally at this stage, they were on the floor rolling as if in the pain of childbirth. I said, what is happening? And she said, you know, in our culture, the fathers want a son first. And the moment a daughter comes out, the father rejects her because she is not what he wanted. It's almost as if there's shame on him that it's not a boy, that it's a girl. And I, my eyes filled up with tears as I looked at these beautiful young girls who will have this distorted picture, who can never, at least at that point, understand that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who delights in them, who believes in them, who wants them, who wants to play with them, talk with them, sing with them, poem with them. The only thing they know as Father God is someone who rejects them because they're the wrong gender, the wrong age, the wrong time, the wrong activity. And oh, what a journey back to come from such brokenness because the fathers dismissed and rejected them to a God who never dismisses us and who never rejects us. I love being a father. If I can give my kids the joy and the power and the celebration of love and a home environment of peace and joy. And brothers, can I say this? It does mean we die to ourselves. It does. Please don't think. Even with girls, I see dads, I see the 12-year-old girl who's kind of premenstrual, and she's throwing her toys out, she's emotional, and the guy, out of awkwardness and shame, says to the wife, come on, you go and deal with her. No, sir. No. No. Just because, forgive my honesty here, just because your wife menstruates, does that mean you give your daughter away because she's going through her hormonal changes. She needs Father so that she can get Father God. She can get acceptance and love so that she can understand affection and love from her eternal Father who never rejects her no matter what her mood or hormones are like at this point in time. My daughter was about three or four. I came home for lunch one day and she was throwing her toys out. Now, I know to spank a child in this context is like, ah, but it's kind of in the Bible, and, and we still believe the Bible. So, so I, I, I did. <laughs> and um, I, I pulled her aside. I said, Miss D, what's going on here? I said, go to the bedroom. You don't ever speak to your mother like that. It wasn't her emotion I disciplined. It was her rebellion. She was taking her mother on. And so I spanked her little booty. And, um, but she lay in the room. Dana is a tough, my second. She's a tough little thing. She's just absolutely delightful. But she cried that day. And, and, and I'm, I'm standing outside the room because they always had to apologize. Hugs and kisses. And we prayed together. See, discipline has a journey. It isn't a moment. It's a cause. It's an effect. It's a forgiveness process. And it's prayer. And... and 
I thought, no, I said, God, you've got to help me because this is I, it's way above me. It's way above my pay grade. And uh, I, I came out. I canceled my next appointment. And I said, come, Miss D. And I took her by the hand. We walked down to a park, which was about a half a mile down the road. I put her on the swings. And we both were very musical, so I was singing and, talk, and, and the tears eventually stopped. And got her off the swing, put her on my lap, put her arms around me, and, and, and I hugged her. And I whispered, and I said, Miss D, what's really hurting, baby? Because I realized that the trigger was not rebellion, it was pain. Our Father who art in heaven. When my two daughters were born, I expected a son, of course. Every African man has a son. We know that. And so God, in his humor, gave me two girls, 19 months apart. And I remember when Dana came home, I said, I, I don't know what to do here. And so I took the two of them, one on each hand like this, and I knelt at the foot of my bed. And I said, Jesus, I do not know how to raise girls. My family was pretty screwed up. I've got two sisters, but it's pretty messy. I have no idea. And I said, would you teach me? You know their personalities. You know what they're going to become. You know who they are. And as I was praying like this, I felt God say, prepare them for another. And you know, God speaks to me in half sentences, and it means a world. Prepare them for, and I knew instantly, it's prepare them for Jesus and prepare them for a husband. And you know, it so shaped my parenting. It wasn't, well, in my house, we don't do this. It's like, you know, girls, those panties lying on the floor. I don't think your husband is going, oh, dad, gross. I'm not going to have a husband. I'm marrying you. You know, all that kind of stuff. We, we all banter around. Because it wasn't about me. I am a conduit of love, affection, discipline, and correction. I'm merely that. A gift from God for someone else. Both of my daughters are married to six foot four men. Don't know why they chose such beasts, but they are. Okay, my point. Are you with me? Gentlemen, it's such a privilege. Our Father who art in heaven, I art on earth. Please, when my kids see me, by your grace and by your spirit-led tenderness, let them see you, feel you care for you. Do you understand how powerful that is, sir? Do you know how much fun I had when my girls were preteen and teen and take them shopping? It wasn't Meryl's responsibility. It was mine. In those days, we just landed here. The girls were 8 and 10 when we landed here, and we were kind of overwhelmed by the options. And I remember taking them to Gap, and these little girls would come and flirt with me, you know, Dad, what do you think? And I say, come on, put that little skirt on. And they put them out, and they'd come out and flick their little hips at me and, you know, roll their eyes and everything. And I've got to pretend to. It's a serious moment. This is not a funny moment. I wasn't laugh at them. This is serious because they're developing their little personalities and their femininity through Dad. The first man they love. If I love them well, if I open the door for them, if I care for them, if I pray for them at night, if I make sure that, they, that there's laughter and joy and I wrestle with them and I play with them and I watch their kind of movies and I, and, 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 and I do Cinderella with them and I'm always the ugly stepsister, it's because that is exactly what they need for me to be the man in their life so that they will choose well. If I'm a jerk, 
an idiot, a selfish, self-preoccupied man who lives only for himself. They will probably marry someone just like me, and their life will be miserable. Number two, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Children are a blessing from the Lord, don't you? Don't you? Those of you who've got them, I mean, they're exhausting. I can tell you many stories just how exhausting they are. But they are a blessing from God. And uh, when God spoke to me about, about raise your kids up for another, it, it, it really was a sublime moment. But you know what else I did? Your kingdom come, your will be done. I've got to teach my kids, that their will is not the central ingredient in our family. My kids needed to know that I loved Jesus more than I loved them. And they needed to know I loved their mom more than I loved them. We cannot, dear friends, put our kids in the central personality, central driving agency, the central rhythms of our family. I know it's cultural. John Stott, the British theologian, says our culture blinds, deafens, and dopes us. So I came to L.A., and certainly Orange County more than L.A. County. I don't understand L.A. County well. But, but I know that those who have kids put the kids of the center of the unit. So, so mom and we never eat together. Dad goes to baseball, mom goes to dance. You grab the kids, eat a McDonald's en route, and boy, I'm being a good dad. And mom, can I say, you're really being a bad one? If the family never eats together around a table, you're being a really bad dad and mom. It's a culturally driven assignment, not a Bible driven assignment. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. When my 17-year-old daughter wanted to get married, she was a senior at high school. You can imagine the surprise it was to us, although we saw it coming. And I sat her down one day, I said, Nas, why do you want to get married, baby? And she looked at me with her gorgeous brown eyes, and she said, Dad, because he loves Jesus more than he loves me. I said, you can marry him. You can marry him. Because your security and identity is not attached to whether your husband fusses over you or not. Jesus is the very central focus. Um, Tian had a school picture taken, and it was, you know, and then they say, oh, for another 10 bucks, you can have it framed by, you are the center of your universe. I said, really? I've spent, up to that point in time, like 12 years trying to tell him you're not the center of the universe. And I've got to pay 10 extra bucks to get a frame telling him the big lie, you are not the center of your universe. You know, folks, you, you know how hard we make God's job? Because suddenly, when our kids, 13, 14, 15, or 25, 35, 45, come to Jesus, suddenly Jesus does not make them the center of the universe. Jesus does not say, oh, oh, I don't want to inconvenience you. I'm so sorry. Please, I'm so, I will never inconvenience you again. Our kids have to feel inconvenienced. They have to hear no and hear it often. Because their little wills want me, I, my, me, I, my, me, I, my. And if we pander to that and bow to that, God's job is that much harder. Because God does say no out of loving care and kindness. He does say no. 
We taught our kids the, how am I doing time-wise? Oh, there's so many stories to tell, but, but, but let me tell you this one quickly. We, we, we put into the kids the pain and privilege of life slash ministry. Ministry has pain and it has privilege. I never saw my daughter swim in a swim meet because I was preaching the gospel somewhere. It's Father's Day. I'm here. I'm not at home with my wife and my kid. I was not Mother's Day. I was preaching in London. We will not put something else in the center of the will of God. But when we are together, there is joy. Just before my daughter was married, we went to South Africa as a final kind of family vacation. And um, uh, someone gave the four of us, Tion was too small, because you go out and view the animals in an open Land Rover. And they don't let little kids go. So it was just the four of us. And as we pulled up to Pinder Game Reserve, it's about $1,000 per person per night. It's fancy. I couldn't afford to go there. And we got to the gate, and I pulled off, and I turned the car off, and I turned sideways. And I said, you know, girls, from when you were small, I used to to speak to you about the pain and privilege of ministry. We will never put ourselves first. I said, but do you see how when we embrace the pain of an obedient life, there is an overwhelming and overriding privilege? And the four of us wept in the car together because we drove through the gates into this exquisite game park. The girls shared a hut in the middle of a forest where you could see no one. Meryl and I shared a, not a hut, a house. Four, four walls of windows looking out over a forest. And we were the only ones that you could see. Ate exquisite food. Please don't make your kids, oh, no, no, we can't go out. It's nap time. Really? I thought kids are a blessing from the Lord. And I can't go to community group because you know what? My kids have to go to bed. Really? My kids used to weep when we didn't have a church function on. Oh, I can't believe it. It's Wednesday night and we have to stay at home. There's no home group tonight. There's no prayer meeting. Because we like, we're doing community. We laugh together. We have fun together. We pray together. We, we worship together. We talk together. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, let me rush off quickly. I'll tell one or two more stories and I'm done. Give us this day our daily bread. One of the great... Are you still with me? Okay. Okay. Give us this day our daily bread. So God tells me, son, teach your kids how to ask for their daily bread. Because then they will... Ask for their daily bread. Quick couple of stories. We had just gotten here, as I told you, and I think it was for Nassia's 13th birthday, I think. So they would put it in about 99, I'm guessing. And um, I go to Best Buys, and again, I'm overwhelmed by all the options. South Africa was easy. You want a boombox, you know, as it was back then. It's like three options. So much easier. Uh, 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 we'll take that one. I go to Best Buys, and there's just rows. So I'm on the phone to Merrill. And uh, I'm saying, babe, I don't know what to buy. There's, let's say, 59 bucks all the way to 800 bucks or whatever. And I'm walking up and down, and I'm saying, babe, I don't know which one to get. And uh, while I'm doing this, I, I keep going towards the expensive one. Now, why am I going there? Because I want my kid to think I'm the coolest dad ever. That's why it's all selfish. It's all about me. Because I wanted to open up the gift the next morning and say, dad, you're amazing. Hug, hug, kiss, kiss, love, love. 
go to school until, my, oh, I got the coolest dad. You must see what he bought me, this big thing. And, and then, oh, oh, hi, Mr. Vinand. Uh, I hear you're really cool. You know, it's like, oh, thank you. See, it's all about me. It's not about my daughter. It's all about me. So I'm walking up and down, and then I decide, hey, aren't we Christians? Are we supposed to, like, pray? I thought, well, why must I pray about getting my kid a boombox? Anyway, so I do. So I said, Jesus, please help me. And I hear God say this. It's not what you can afford to give her. It's what she can afford to have. Oh, my word, did I battle with that? See, I remember it word for word. It's not what you can afford to give. It's what she can afford to have. So I get, to, I don't know, let's say 120 buck one, and I take it out, and I am absolutely certain she's going to be devastated the next day. So we get home, I show her, I said, babe, it's amazing, whatever. So we wrap it. The next morning, I give it to her, and I'm looking into her eyes to, be, to see the evidence of disappointment. Like, that's the best you got for me? Not a, not a millisecond. Fast forward. Ten years later. Her and her husband are church planting in Perth, Australia. I walk to the, to the um, kitchen cupboard with the food. What do you call it? Pantry. And I open the door and there's hardly any food in there. As I'm standing there looking at this, my father's heart's broken. They're poor. They can't afford to eat fancy. God says, now do you understand? And I realize if I'd spoiled my kid, always buying her the best, always getting what satisfies me, I'm not preparing her for her God assignment. It was like, that's what you meant. Give us this day our daily bread. Because literally she has to pray, play, play as a mother of then two kids. God, the credit card's maxed. There's no food in the cupboard. Would you meet? Would you give us our daily bread? We don't know what our kids' assignments are. We don't give them what we can afford to or what we want to or what our pride demands. We give them what they can afford to receive. My second daughter went and studied at Oxford for a year and it was at a time the church was going through some hard times. I wasn't being paid, although no one knew but Merrill and the accountant. And I just said, don't pay me, pay the rest of the staff. So I'm in faithful. And I take her to Oxford, check her in. I'm telling the story quickly. And uh, they call us American parents in. And they say, look, there's been a miscommunication because um, Biola let you know that all expenses are covered. That's actually not true. Uh, tuition's covered. Accommodation's covered. Food is not. And Dana turns to me and says, Dad, are you okay with that? And I'm like, yeah. Pfft. Oh, heck yeah. And I'm just like, God, we've got no money. How's this going to be? I've got a little money, a little money in my kind of, that I'm traveling with. I go to an HBSC bank, open a little account for her, put everything I've got in there. The next day I get in the car and I'm driving back to the airport, wave until I can't see her anymore. And I'm saying, God, how can this be? Honestly, folks, I've missed one tithe check in my whole Christian life. That's 41 years. Tithe, 10% of gross. See, I believe you can never outgive God. It's not a law or rule. I just believe it's who he is. It's who he is. And I, and I say to him, God's my daughter. I, I have not got money for food for her. I hardly finished 
those words, and the telephone, my cell phone rings, and it's a young church plant in London who I'd been working. He said, hey, Chris, how are you doing? I heard you're in town. I said, Ryan, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. I, um, you know, just in and out, dropping down at Oxford, and I'm, I'm dashing out. I'm on my way to Heathrow to fly back to L.A. He said, well, that's why I called. He said, as an eldership, we just felt God say, we want to give Dana 300 pounds a month. It's about $500 a month. Are you okay with that? Now, I start weeping. And he's like, Chris, are you there? Hello, hello, hello. You know, I'm trying to get words out now. We didn't have money for Dana for a, a UK cell phone, but I call the call box in their res, in their dorm. She's nearby. She picks it up. I said, dear, it's dad. She said, are you okay? Then I started weeping. Dad, are you there? Dad, are you there? Are you there, Dad? I said, baby, you won't believe what just happened. Actually, Mom and I can't afford to pay for your food. But this is what's just happened. She's crying. I'm crying. What has God given her? Hmm? Give us each day our daily bread. She's got a story no one can ever take away. That God has literally provided her bread every day. story goes on and goes on. Let me land with this. I'm sorry I, I've got too many stories. There's many more things I'd love to tell you. You got one more? Okay. And forgives us our debts as we forgive our debtors. My son was about 13 years old. Forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And I'm sitting watching ESPN Saturday afternoon, just chilling, and the Spirit of God says to me, go and speak to your son. Now, I don't want you to think God speaks to me this way all the time. It would be fun if he did, but he doesn't. He did that often. As I walk up the stairs, he's walking down, and I look at him, and I said, we have to talk, don't we? And he looks at me, because I told my kids, please know, God will tell us what you've been doing. <laughs> Every time. I mean, you know, major moments. He does. Because we're busy. We're about the king's business. I have to trust God who knows and loves my kids more than I know and love them. He's going to tell me. So he looks at me and he says, yeah, we have to. We go through his room and it just all comes out. Done this, this, this. So I said, okay. So I said, well, boy, you know there's discipline. He said, I know, Dad. I said, give me a moment. I walk out. He's lying on his bed. And I walk out. I just said, Lord, I really don't know what to do now. 13-year-old, 14-year-old son or whatever. You don't spank him. I said, what do I do now? And he says, go back in. And my son's lying with his eyes closed like this. And I put my hands on his chest. I said, T, you know what? I said, God will never love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. And his head goes from side to side like this, dismissing and not believing. And I push harder on his chest and I say it again. God will never love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. And I said it again, pushing a little harder, until eventually a tear rolled down his cheek and he opened one eye and he said, really, Dad? I said, my boy, but that's not even the best news. He says, what do you mean? I said, God will never love you any more or any less than he loves you right now, but he'll never speak to you about this again. What do you mean, Dad? I said, the Bible says that he chooses to remember our sins no more. And neither will I. And we haven't. Father God forgives us our sins. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is exquisite. The gospel isn't a perfume we splash over our, over our lives to take our 
our, our showerless existence and make it smell a little bit nicer. The gospel fundamentally gets into the inner essence of our lives and changes us from the inside out. And it starts with love and forgiveness. It starts where God comes in and loves us in our brokenness. I never understood that growing up. And I love my pops. I called him this morning. But I never understood the sublime nature of a love that is so comprehensive and so complete. And I need the Spirit-led wisdom to know when to discipline and when to show mercy. I don't only show mercy because that will distort the picture of God. I don't only discipline because that will distort the, 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 the essence of God. But it's this moment as T lay on his bed, filling this, this, this lad, just filling the single bed with this notion, God will never love me any more or any less than he loves me right now. Ladies and gentlemen, that is sublime because we grow up with conditional love. I will ignore you. You've shamed the family. You've let me down. You've made some decisions that I'm not happy with. I will ignore you. I will scream at you. I will write you out of my will. I will do whatever is not the picture of Father God. The picture of Father God is the one who finds this woman caught in the very act of adultery, who was probably naked as she lay on the ground by all historical accounts. If she was caught in the act of adultery, she was brought in the condition that she was at. And as she lay there fully shamed, fully naked, fully exposed, and everyone brought the finger of an accusatory legalistic father, Jesus said, I will show you what my heavenly Father is really like. Let him who has no sin cast the first stone. As I put my hand on my boy, I was not without sin. I'm a man just like him. My sin is just more sophisticated. And as I was speaking over him, I was speaking over me. Chris, I will never love you anymore or any less than I love you right now. Get up. As Jesus, I suspect, gave her his robe. But go and sin no more. And that wasn't another legalistic finger of accusation. It was the tender caress of mercy. I will empower you that you don't have to live this life any longer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, your name. His name is worthy of our worship, our praise, and our gratitude. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.